Well, hello and welcome to Biteside, the weekly podcast where Seamus Byrne and I look at tech, gaming, anything that kind of catches our fancy. You'd normally hear Seamus right now. I'm actually doorstopping him. I don't think he knew I was about to jump in at the start of the podcast. It's probably a bit surprising to him. Seamus, how are you? <laughs> I'm really good, Nick. Um, how are you today? What are you doing here? <laughs> really good as well. I wanted to get straight in here because, and I know you're going to be a little disappointed that we're talking about this, but I actually think it's incredibly important. You are leaving Facebook and I actually wanted to have a proper chat to you about why you think that Facebook's time is done for you personally, how you think you're going to wrap that up and what you are going to find yourself doing. Because you've been quiet about this, but you've made it very, very clear on social media that you think it is time I believe the words you used were to leave this hell site. <laughs> yes, yes, pretty much. Pretty what much. Was the, what, what was the kickoff? Because I know we've, you and I have both talked about our growing dissatisfaction with where Facebook positions itself, but also the fact that it, it's kind of there as a communication channel. So what was the tipping point? Yeah, look, that is always the hardest thing for me. Lots of family on the other side of the world uh, they're all deeply embedded into how Facebook works and it is hard to find other ways to easily contact them. Um, I think the thing that really, really hit me was after everything else that's been going on, and I mean, I've always had all the uh, the Myanmar activities in the back of my mind for the past four years because Facebook was directly implicated in the way in which a lot of the... Um, uh, the genocide activities that took place there. It was all like really kind of whipped up through Facebook and Facebook didn't do anything about it. They kind of apologized, but it's clear that they've had no interest in actually dealing with anything that they've ever done wrong when it comes to populist hysteria. Um, and it's happening all over again. The one that really hit me last week was when Facebook, uh, it came out, was basically dismissing uh, climate denial, um, because after doing all its deals with a fact-checking group in science and all this stuff to show how they were going to take this stuff seriously, uh, they allowed a bunch of climate denial to be um, ignored based on the fact that it was just opinion and it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be fact-checked in the same way because it was opinion. And suddenly you just have that same rubbish position where it's like yet another excuse for why they they do nothing um in the name of letting lots and lots of engagement take place <laughs> with a bunch of utterly trash content it's just a discussion James. no seriously though I, I often get this same vibe and i know a lot of people do we, we sigh we get exhausted but very few of us take that step to say, well, actually, now I am going to actually go from here. I think we've all had those little Facebook breaks where you take a bit of hiatus, you call it your social media holiday, whatever you want. You know, I'm just going to deactivate for a while. But you're acutely aware that at any time you choose to, you can reactivate that account. Barely anyone's going to notice you were gone unless you made a song and dance about it. And it's all going to be exactly where it was not many of us get to the point where we think, well, now we do actually have to take genuine action. Do you, do you think there was a moment of personal responsibility where you said, if I don't show that this is too far, then no one else will? What, what do you think was there? 
Yeah, like it is. It's that thing when sometimes you feel like you need to plant a flag, right? You need to kind of decide that it 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 has serious potential to be harmful to the way I work and especially with the things like having you know bite side having a presence on facebook you can't be on uh, instagram uh, as a business account without having a facebook account uh, without having a facebook page and of course you can't run a facebook page without a facebook account um you know uh, whatsapp um, i have a number of family and friend groups that run through whatsapp that's all owned by facebook i think there's so many layers to this where I, you know, there is that real concern of we we need to collectively start to try to hold it responsible. And part of that means just trying to look for viable alternatives, which I think is the really hard part at this moment. Um, and that's where I think, you know, I, I think the typical thing, and like you just said, where that feeling that you can exit without... Um, but kind of know everything's still going to be there. Um, I want to do it as more of like, okay, this is actually going to be a process I need to go through for a while in the name of building out my alternative strategy. And because uh, I think, you know, years ago, I remember writing a piece for ABC where it was talking about, you know, what happens after Facebook or, you know, is there ever going to be a Facebook competitor? And I think it's always felt like the the thing that comes after Facebook is more like what was before Facebook in that it's lots of different <laughs> tools that we kind of use to stay in touch rather than no one's going to try to build, you know, another giant portal of, you know, with a news feed and with all these different community pages and all these different odds and ends. Um, it is about kind of just finding the right tool for the right job because, you know, no one wants to go head to head with Facebook. That's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, I think TikTok has kind of proved that you can rapidly head towards a billion users by just finding a different kind of social interaction rather than trying to compete. So, um the really slow part of this for me is actually doing things like getting back in touch with everybody and getting their email addresses and their phone numbers <laughs> and their real addresses so that I can then, you know, actually try to be more actively engaged with individuals um, over time. It's kind of weird. The fragmentation is interesting to me because it seems like Every time we think we've got a handle on how services, no matter whether it's social media or or just another tech service, are going to handle that fragmentation, sometimes it seems like suddenly it's a feature, not a bug. And, and Facebook, you know, a number of years ago went deliberately to that fragmentation, even splitting aside Messenger. So I guess the question I've got is, is where do you draw the line? As you said, WhatsApp owned by Facebook, will you still be using that? Is Messenger gone as well, even though it can be done separate to what we think of as that traditional Facebook experience? See, I I don't I don't think I'd I'd very commonly hear from my dad if I quit everything, including Messenger. <laughs> but then it requires yeah, that's he he's a massive Facebook user and and if he has a stray thought that he wants to bounce off me, it absolutely is arriving at me via Messenger. Um so there's so many of those kinds of layers of it which are really, really awkward. But, I, you know, I feel like if if I'm going to try to do it, I need to try to entirely extract from it. But there are, like, a number of things that, that also mean I don't, like, right? Like, here's an interesting implication that I'm like, I don't want this to happen. And so it might be that thing where I go the, like, you know, disable route on certain things 
but then just try to, you know, absolutely ignore it. Um, beyond that is is I don't want to like quit in a way that means someone else could then use my name on a page or you know or use Byteside as a page name if I delete those things. So this is stuff I need to I'm you know wanting to keep researching as to exactly what happens with all these sorts of things. Um, you know, it's like there's so many layers to it, which I think is partly also the problem of. It is absolutely a monopoly. Like they love to pretend they're not a monopoly, but there is such a deeply embedded kind of cultural domain they now control. The idea of where else do you go? You know, and their thing is like, well, you can communicate with your friends through all sorts of other things <laughs> because they don't want to be ever, you know, legislated <laughs> like they're a monopoly. But I mean, more than anything else in the digital space, they are such a controlling space and everybody and it's funny in the conversations I had with people as I started to really try to explore this last week it's like everybody keeps coming back to the idea that that there are the good things too and it's like there's no question that there's great little kind of hubs and bits and pieces of what what exists there but as an entity I mean they are just so far removed from having good interests um, at heart anymore that it, I I just really really struggled to you know to feel like it's okay to you know to condone it in the sense it's interesting as you were talking uh, I kind of thought about my experience and you know you and I both live in regional parts of New South Wales you'd know that there's local businesses there's local restaurants where if you try and find out information about them their page is a Facebook page. You, yeah. you have to send them orders via messenger if you're trying to get in contact. Like you are, and I don't mean this aggressively, but there's a lot of baby going out with the bathwater here. Yeah, totally. And look, <laughs> I, I really do feel like I might end up just going, it's too, it's too hard. And I think if I do, then my kind of flip side to this is to be far more aggressive about demanding Facebook be better, you know, because... Um, and so that's where I'm like, I feel like the right thing to do is absolutely to quit. And now it's this journey of working out how realistic is it? Because <laughs> it's totally the case where I'm like, well, it's, yeah, it's not fair to completely kind of, you know, just to lose the communication base of what Facebook is and in some ways even right as someone who tries to report on this stuff I'm like is it even just stupid to extract myself from something that I think is actually an important thing to be able to report on um so I've totally been you know backwards and forwards you know five times a day at the moment on exactly how I do it but I think the biggest thing is definitely you know at a minimum I feel like I'm going to try to write some things where I map out a very clear strategy for how how viable it is to kind of, you know, extract yourself and what tools you should try to explore if you're trying to do that. And I think part of that includes trying to pick ethical alternatives, not like going, well, you can, you know, do these other things through Google. It's like, really is, <laughs> are we really dealing with something that's all that much better if we just say, you know, you could always just go and watch, you know, all the videos on YouTube all the time because, like, that's not a, a cesspit of its own kind of, you know, making. The biggest thing, though, I actually have to say that that really, really strikes me with the whole Facebook thing as well is that, you know, like YouTube, one of the biggest issues 
uh, that we've sort of had with it over the years has been the fact that you know that the opaque nature of its algorithms means you don't quite know how it's choosing to recommend things. But then when people have run tests, that it's like that 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 path of recommendations often leads to more and more troubling content. Um, with Facebook, I think one of the things that really hits me is it's yet another opaque algorithm, and and you you don't really know. It's more that idea of what is it choosing to um, you know to bubble to the surface or to just push down and make sure is never seen. And you know, my thoroughly anecdotal evidence is that I had a lot of people talk to me about the post I did where I talked about saying enough is enough. And I posted the link that I wanted to reference in the first comment of that Uh story. Then I also did another post and I've done a couple similar in recent weeks where when there's been a big troubling news story about what Facebook has been up to, um, I will find that the post where it is essentially a link post where I will write, you know, some words above the link that those at times have had like zero engagement for 24 hours. And I'm just like, that's just weird that not even one person in my social networks would have hit a like button or left a comment at all in that first day. And then I'll often then leave a first comment going, this this seems weird. <laughs> and And then a few things might start to filter through. So... There's that I get, I get a real sense that they are absolutely trying to pretend that there's no bad news about Facebook. I think they are, and you know, you mentioned before about how just baked in Facebook is to our, our, our well, very much our culture at the moment. If someone says to me, "I don't have Twitter," I'm like, "Oh, you probably don't need it, but it is a bit of fun." But if someone says to me, "I don't have Facebook," I'm a little surprised by that. I'm like, "Oh, what led you to not have Facebook?" Are you going to be taking this rigour that you want to have for Facebook, and rightfully so, is it going to be pushed towards other social media that you use? Um, yeah, like, I, you know, I feel more comfortable with with the way Twitter works as a thing. I know it's, you know, it is its own cesspit, but I think um, Twitter has more of that capability. In my mind, I completely agree that other people can, you know, have their own position on it, but I feel like Twitter is more of the thing where it can be what you want it to be because you can curate your feeds in a way that, and you know, and stick to real you know, you kind of have to fight, you know, Twitter loves trying to change the app back to let's show you the highlights. Um but you know, Oof. it's kind of easier and that it's like it's two clicks and you're back to having the latest updates. You know, so it, that sort of element is like easier to fix on a regular basis, whereas that's just not even really a thing on Facebook anymore. Um, but I think, you know, in that sense, I'm like, I you know can have a better relationship with what Twitter is while also knowing that, you know, they need to do so much more about the, the bots and the trolls that exist within that environment. Um, like one of the other things, though, that it has made me think about is the way in which I have ByteSide set up that I'm like, I want to make sure that because um, working on a rebuild of the website at the moment, I want to uh, move to a privacy uh, respectful um, analytics engine, which means removing Google Analytics from that whole sort of chain of you know activity so that there's less of the tracking cookies being dropped into people's uh, browsers. 
Um, and so, yeah, trying to explore a few more of those sorts of things where I go, okay, how do I make sure that, you know, that my, the, the back end of even the way I run my operations um, is working in a way that is more respectful of the things I think I think deserve to be better respected on the internet. Well, I'm really keen to see how this, I'm not going to call it an experiment because I, I think you, you were taking a bit more seriously than just a muck around, but I'm really curious to see how this goes. I think it is going to be incredibly difficult. And I, I can't wait to actually read what you put together as a bit of a guide on it. And um, thank you for letting me aggressively interview you on your own podcast. <laughs> I, I really do appreciate it, actually, because, uh, right, it's something I'm constantly battling in my own brain on a daily basis. I'm re- at, like today, I, I feel like I'm going to fail, that I am going to end up going, no, nope, it's not going to work out. Um, you know, I hope that <laughs> as I kind of, dig into it more and more i like i really feel like it's just going to be something that takes me a few months to extract from because i don't have enough time to kind of sit there and just genuinely go through my list of contacts and the groups and things and try to make alternate arrangements to like you know we've got a local D club that organizes through a facebook group and i'm like well i want to know when the latest updates and stuff are happening but i don't you know, and it's totally fair that as a little shop that they run their stuff through an easy to use page <laughs> on Facebook. You know, and it's like I'm not gonna I can't demand that the thirty other people involved with that club all kind of change to some other annoying <laughs> alternate app slash thing they have to oh god, I gotta install another thing. Um, so it's the onus is absolutely on me. And like I've always been big on that as well, right? People who when they opt out and then they kind of want to bitch about the fact that they didn't get invited to a party. It's like, no, it's kind of it's on you. And it's like maybe 10 years ago when everybody was still just joining Facebook, um, you had some kind of excuse to go, man, it would have been nice to get a message about that. Oh, we put it on put the details on Facebook. Uh. Um, now it's like, yeah, it's on me to work it out. And maybe that's <laughs> needing to hassle some trusted friends who I know are going to reliably inform me of things that I'm missing out on. <laughs> I love the idea that maybe the option for Facebook is just word of mouth. Look, um, keep us updated with how it all goes. And if you're listening at the moment, if you've thought about doing something similar or if you've got some tips or even just want to ask some ideas, we are ask at biteside.com. Send in some emails and um, Seamus will try and actually get some information to you or take your tips on board. So that a, a huge amount of time. We should talk about the other hot app that no one can say no to, Quibi. <laughs> yes. They've got new now, shows coming, I, don't they? They've got Okay, this is just wild. First up, I kind of remember we spoke about this last week. Quibi means quick bites. Did we know this? I don't ever remember learning this before this week. Oh, yeah, I don't think we ever said that out loud, but I definitely did learn that at some point. Um, and therefore, maybe it's, it's meant to be pronounced quibi. Quibi, 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 I don't know. Anyway, I'm looking right now. They have done a home movie version of The Princess Bride, and I can't work out if it's the best idea for a kind of lockdown world or if it's absolutely infuriating me because it has what is clearly a 40-something Fred Savage lying in bed wearing a Bears jersey. They're just trying to replicate it. It's just utterly bizarre. And you're like, Deadpool did a better idea of uh, how to, you know, circle back to that whole moment. I don't know if you saw that, but they did a no. uh, an M-rated cut of Deadpool 2 
um, given that it was originally R-rated. Um, they did a Christmas, and it was essentially like Once Upon a Deadpool. And it was like Deadpool telling the story of uh, Deadpool 2 to Fred Savage lying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually really, really clever. Yeah, and that way they could cut out all the really utterly graphic things and he would describe the things that were happening in those moments. <laughs> all right, well, Quibi has got new shows. I don't think they're particularly interesting. I don't think it's going to save it. We should actually talk about the COVID safe app. Yeah. Did you remember that well, that existed as well? Yes. One thing I wanted to throw at you about the oh. Quibi thing was simply the idea oh. that when I got that EDM from them, I think it was today or recent days, um, the big thing that I got out of that was it was like there was a message saying, we promise we've got other cool new shows coming soon, given I think we're getting pretty close to the end of the three-month trial from where it first started. So Six days left. So, yeah. So I reckon that message was very much about going, we promise there's cool content coming soon. <laughs> Don't quit before you pay us money. That's what I think was behind a part of that as well. You just made me think the only EDM I've got excited about in a long time, um, the film Warrior Nun. I know nothing about it apart from its name. Netflix just keeps telling me that Warrior Nun is coming. coming. I don't want to know anything else about it, but I really want to watch anything called Warrior Nun. I'm sold. Also, Netflix is so far ahead of the competition um, in uh, the new uh, latest Bindside newsletter that's just gone out, um, I noticed they have 60 new programs launching in July. And this that's is in enormous. The, this is in the midst of the pandemic. Apparently, there are 200 shows in production around the world at the moment. Um, but it's like they are just so far ahead of everybody when it comes to having a good pipeline of content. 60 new seasons of shows and movies and different things are dropping in the next in the next month, like amazing for them to be still this prepared with content. Yeah, that is absolutely wild, um, especially as we're coming out of lockdown. I think their numbers are going to be, their viewing numbers have to be dropping very, very quickly in certain countries like Australia. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that one. But yes, COVID safe. Uh, yeah, COVID safe was really interesting because we did speak about it when it came out and we talked about installing it and and, and I did. But I don't think I ever really opened it and set it up properly. Now, remind me, you did. You went through the whole process, didn't you? No, I said I would do it when uh, when I was going to leave the house uh, and was going to start interacting with people in a way that might require it. And then I never got around to it. <laughs> it's really interesting. And I wonder how many other people did that. There is a great article up on the ABC today, a um, bit of work being done by Ariel Bogle and Cameron Wilson. I think you and I both yeah. worked with them over the years, or at least I've done some bits of working with health reporter Paige Cockburn. And the thing that stood out to me is that it does not look like a single case of COVID-19 has been viably traced using the app. And it's that unfortunate feeling that, you know, this is kind of the technical issues in the way that it was implemented, the issues around how it worked on iPhone, the confusion around that, and the fact that, right, since the first time we talked about it, it's like they never really solved for that problem on the iPhone being, you know, the most widely used single platform. Um, and, you know, even that idea that I heard stories of people who knew like old people who were really, really worried about the fact that their phone actually couldn't install it because 
it was either too old or the wrong kind of platform or whatever it was, you know, or some like, you know, one of those Android phones where it's it's Android phone by name, but it can't really do much of anything apart from be a phone, mm-hmm. um, that there were some people really, really scared because of the way in which it was pitched to us as this like, you know, thing that was going to let the economy open up again because, you, you know, you'd better install this bloody thing because it's going to be like sunscreen. And it just the sunscreen one, the messaging behind that really surprised me. And, yeah. and when I look back at it, I actually think it might have been uh, I'm not going to say dangerous, but there is a concern that that message, you know, I think the PM said when the sun is shining, you've got to have sunscreen on. This is the same thing. There's a worry that that led to complacency that people said, oh, you know, I've got the app. I'm protected just like it was sunscreen. Yeah. When, of course, the app doesn't protect you. The app is or should have been a viable element of contact tracing, which is there for the authorities, not for the individual. And, yeah, and that classic thing where it's like this is a situation where the, you know, that we all, like, massive credit to the health system in that they've actually been bloody good at contact tracing as a you know as a process when a new case is found that they've been very very good at helping to work out you know um okay whether it's through an interview process with you know with a patient um the different kinds of things to help know where are the potential points of contact? How do we help to inform those people and get them tested as quickly as we can? All that kind of stuff as a manual process has like been very well managed here in Australia. And it's just kind of interesting that the the added benefits of what having an app was going to do has kind of turned out to essentially be next to nothing. And it, I kind of find it infuriating that there's still knowing, like it's been... Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Has it, it's probably been more than a month since the APIs got updated for the whole Google and Apple unified system that would actually I think it is. Yeah, be able to be integrated yes. into this. And they could have just updated the existing app, kind of reinformed people to say, you know, like there's a big update coming, make sure you update your apps, but it's going to make the app work even better. Like it, it doesn't matter what kind of... Like it would have been perfectly simple to accept that the tech wasn't working right for the first gen, but it was the best we could do at the time. And now we've got a great update that is going to make it work even better for the future because this is a long-term thing. We do need to keep worrying about this for a very long time to come. Um, It just seems like they could have solved it, but instead I think there's that classic fear of, are we going to look like we're backflipping or we did something wrong? And it's like, just make it as good as it can be. Or or make it part of a strategy. I mean, when we talk about that contact tracing, we saw that in some countries there were genuine, literal investigators, individual people who would go and investigate your movements and your interactions and do contact tracing that way. Yeah. Uh, And apparently it was ridiculously effective. Yeah. So there's just, yeah, so many parts of this where you go, you know, like it's always funny when you think, oh, like tech is now suddenly part of this, story that you know it might not have really you know i mean i've been writing so many stories about you know the pandemic on the basis of remote working and working from home and the technologies needed to make that work well and authentication and security and and it was like oh here's another thing this app and it really felt like they put so much front page attention on this thing for the first 10 days of it and then as soon as it started to hit that window where it was like so is it has it helped with anything yet? Then they just kind of started trying to ignore it. It, it ever existed. 
It's part of an ongoing thing you and I talk about quite a bit, this idea of white knighting technology, like this belief that somehow a tech solution will be the ideal solution or if yeah. it's high tech, it's got to be the right way to go. And I think, you know, there's very few scenarios where that's always true. Uh, and this unfortunately looks like one of them where we got caught up in the idea that it could be as simple as an app. You know, there's an app for that. That should be, it should make us feel good. It's a really simple thing. Install it on your phone. Everything's going to be okay. But it was too simple. There wasn't enough behind it. And, you know, as we're learning the hard way over the past two weeks, looking at Victoria in particular, we're not even at a second wave. We're at a second spike of the first wave. We're, we're not out of the woods. We're not even in the middle of the woods necessarily yet. Yeah, and and right, like the big issue I have in a lot of the media stuff as well is everyone's always looking for something to point at and go, see, that's the reason something's not going right or or is going wrong or or is going right, you know, whatever it might be. Instead of like I just, it's like let's just keep letting the medical professionals lead the discussion for as long as we can, um, you know, with the issues that they're having in around Melbourne. Um, it's like, you know, you see pundits kind of blaming this, that, and the other, and you're like, I haven't seen any official comment about who who has been infected and exactly why that is, again, it's the job of these on-the-ground health officials who are trying to sort of do everything they can to stem this. And instead of adding just all this kind of, you know, like rubbish, um, you know, theorizing, instead of just going, do they have the tools they need right now? What tools do they need? What can we do to support them? And how, as a community, you know, on their recommendation, can we keep doing everything we can do to minimize the threats? And it's like, you know, we're still, we're so far ahead of so many other places in the world. But again, that doesn't mean we should ever be complacent about it. And my Lord, around my area last weekend, did <laughs> I ever see you know, more Sydney people than ever before <laughs> hanging around. You're like, <laughs> it's lovely. It's great for the local economy. But can everybody please make sure they're sticking to the rules so that they, they're here for, you know, in a really positive way and not suddenly creating a new kind of vector of transmissions because some person who didn't know they had it suddenly came to town and now it's a thing here when it wasn't before. Yeah, look, it is very terrifying at the moment. I'm seeing it even around here. Um, uh, but, you know, I'll just say this, the old saying that if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yeah. If all you're trusting are developers, every solution is going to look like an app and it's not the right way to go necessarily. Yeah. Oh, my God. There was this amazing story out of the States about some company that literally formed six days before it got like a $15 million government contract to supply vials to a you know testing labs for COVID testing. Um, and then it was, of course, discovered that these vials were just like random um, plastic. I can't remember. There's a, sp a specific word for it, but essentially they were the little plastic tubes that you sell to like um, bottling companies, whether it's like a you know Coke or a Pepsi or whoever, and that gets kind of air blasted into the shape of the actual uh, bottles, you know, like pressed into the, the final you know, bottle shapes. They were selling these uh, things to the government because somehow, you know, they just rang the right, per or, you know, here was a company that they just knew how to sell bulk warehoused items. That's what they were good at. And therefore, they were able to convince a government entity that they had a solution that was going to help them get more testing done fast. And of course, all this stuff ends up turning up at labs and the labs are going, this isn't a real 
test tube. This isn't a vial we use. Oh my God. It's not sanitized. It's not anything. You've just spent millions on this random gunk because someone knew how to sell it to you. And it's like, it is absolutely, you're right. The same kind of thing where, yeah, there's developers who know how to use all the right words to convince somebody that they've got the solution for them. <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm really disappointed the Juicero guys didn't come out oh. of retirement to, to come up with a great yeah. idea. <laughs> we should get ready to wrap up. Yes. Have you got a hot tip for me? I do. Um, so it's actually the link. I'll put in the show notes and it's in the current uh, issue of the Biteside newsletter, but it is an LED circuit real-time map of the London underground. And I just adore this oh. thing because it is it is a circuit board and it is using a real-time data API Every light on the board is uh, it represents one of the like 300 and something underground stations. And in real time, they are lighting up based on where the trains currently are on the network. I love this thing. It is so cute. And particularly in this moment where I'm like, I'm not going to get back. I love London dearly. I am not getting back there anytime soon. <laughs> and I really find that amazing idea to be able to go, I could like mount this cute little thing on the wall and just know that that is like the real-time information of of where the trains are moving around like my favourite underground transport system in the world. <laughs> it's super nerdy. I'm looking at it now. It's absolutely beautiful. It's really cute. And I can I can genuinely see the appeal on yeah. that one. I love it. And if you're, you're more of a Boston data visualization, yeah. And it's like if you're more of a, a fan of Boston, uh, I think they have a Boston version <laughs> as well. So um, yeah, really clever. And what a great use of the real time you know data information that is now available. You're right. So so clever. Smart, smart, smart. Okay, mine's less of a top tip and something that actually really worked for me. But um, I had pilot night on Saturday night. I decided to put down uh, The Last of Us 2 for a little while and just take a bit of an emotional break from a very draining game. And um, you and I talk about how there's just so much TV at the moment I can't keep up. I just spent the night watching the first episode of a whole bunch of shows that have been recommended to me. I just ran my own little pilot season to see which one I'd decide I was going to pick up. That is great. That is such a good idea. It was really fun. So how many different shows did you watch? I watched through four. Yep. Um, there's two that made the shortlist, um, and I think one that's absolutely I'm committed to, which, of course, is Yellowstone. I don't know how we all slept on that for so long, how there's three seasons of that. It is amazing straight out of the gate. It's absolutely great. Do give it a watch if you can. And um, Hightown. So thank you, Stan, for both of those. But Hightown was actually better than I thought it was going to be for that first season, uh, first episode as well. So I think if you just do feel overwhelmed, if people are recommending things to you, there's this real sense that we're supposed to sit down and watch four, five, six episodes all in one go before we can make up our mind about them. Don't. Just watch the first episode of a bunch of things and if you're hooked, get stuck into it. Yeah, I really love it. And and you're right. Like, I think it's something that I, I should probably do with Sally more often is to actually sit down and just go, let's just watch episode one of a few different things, pick up some flavors, and then that kind of helps. Because we're always, you know, we'll usually we'll usually mainline one show for a while, but you still, you want like a little bit to pick at here and there. You don't just want one thing um, that you're focused on and having a little kind of test drive um, one weekend might be a nice way to then have a bit of a roadmap of like, what are the next few shows that we're planning on watching as we travel along? That's, that's a very clever strategy. I love it. Thank you very much. And build over some drinks as well. Charles, let's wrap up. Where can people find you? Yep. I am at Seamus on Twitter, S-E-A-M-U-S. 
I thought I'd just <laughs> let you. Oh, yeah. Where do people find you? <laughs> I don't know how to do this when I'm not hosting. <laughs> I'm like, you just say Facebook and stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, we just had a huge conversation about that. Of course, it's just Twitter now. Oh, it's you're right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I mean, slash Seamus Byrne. Watch it disappear sometime in the next 12 months, maybe. <laughs> you can still get me on Facebook for a while longer. It is Nick Healy. And uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, I'm at DR underscore Nick. That's N-I-C. That's Dr. Nick. And, again, if you've got anything you want to know from us, it's ask at biteside.com. We'll do this again in a week.